We're a small group, but we can still use the microphone. Uh, if you could turn to Micah, Prophecy of Micah, Chapter 5. We're so grateful to be together and to have such a portion, right, as the Lord Jesus. Um, you all know that I teach uh, college English and I have a literature class. And some days when I go to work, I'm kind of not thinking much about the class or maybe not looking that forward to it. But sometimes if I really like the story that we're talking about, I'm excited to get there because I want to talk about it. I want to hear what they hear, what they have to say about the story or the poem. And in a way, that's my portion that day. And it really uh, it fills me with joy and excitement. And this portion that we have as we gather and break the bread together is the best portion. And so I know that sometimes it can be hard to get here. Um, and there may be other things that we wish we could be doing or different things like that. But I just hope that for all of us, even as we look forward to the coming year, we can really treat this meeting and view this meeting as a blessed opportunity to reflect on all that the Lord is and has done. And so, during this time of year, as we know, many are thinking about the Lord Jesus, maybe even, even more than normal with the Christmas season uh, being upon us. Of course, that's not for everyone. Some people don't really give the Lord much thought, but even just in the songs and the carols and the, the, even in some of the decorations, we know that the Lord's name is, is out there. And I wanted to look at this prophecy in Micah, um, Micah 5, which speaks of the Lord's birth prophetically. And I want to use this as an example of how we should read the Bible, how we should read the, especially the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. What should our strategy be? What should our heart attitude be as we read the Word, as we come to the Word? So in Micah, verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And then it goes on, I can just read briefly verses 3 and 4 as well. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And so Micah speaks these words in prophecy, I'm sure not quite knowing what he was saying or what exactly he was even talking about. Maybe he thought there was a, 
uh, a near fulfillment of these verses coming right down the line for the people he was talking to. But by the time the Lord Jesus was born, these verses had become very uh, important in the anticipation and the expectation of the coming Messiah. And so, of course, famously, these are the verses that are shown to King Herod in Matthew 2. So if we could flip over to Matthew 2, we can see, you might say, the application of these verses. So Brother Colin last week brought the wise men before us, and uh, they're always such a great uh, topic of meditation for us because these men who were wealthy for sure probably had a little bit of power as well but also they were uh, pagan they were probably astrologers they were surrounded by the gods of the east the area of Babylon in other words they came out of this area that was very um, religious but at the same time knew knew very little about the God of Abraham, the God we worship, the true and living God. And yet, here we find them worshiping the Lord Jesus. Wrapped up in this little story at the beginning of Matthew is the fact that Jesus fulfills all of the prophecies beforehand saying that uh, Abraham's family would bless the nations. This is an example right at his birth We see the nations coming to him and praising him. So it's really a beautiful story. It says here in um, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So we see there... uh, you know, combination, really, of the the whole prophecy. Then Herod, when he had secretly called these wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you found found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. Um, And we know the way the story plays out. I think what I'm thinking of, the people I'm thinking about mostly this morning are these scribes and experts in the law. For them, the prophecy of Micah was uh, important. They knew it. Of course, Herod didn't even know the scriptures enough to know this very famous prophecy. I mean, if you didn't know this prophecy, it means you probably have never even cracked open a Bible at this time in Jesus' day. 
because everyone was thinking of him as the son of David, the, the coming Messiah. And so Herod was a person, though he was in some ways Jewish, we, we know that he was also related to the Edomites. He's sort of a half Edomite, half Hebrew in a way. But he, he had no time for the God of, of Abraham. But I'm more interested in these scribes and these priests. They knew the word. They knew right where to go, chapter and verse, to find the answer to this question. But why didn't they go find this child? What happened to them that it stopped for them at their heads and that knowledge didn't go into their hearts to transform them? To transform them into worshipers like it did for the Magi, for these wise men? That's the key question. How do we approach Old Testament Scripture? Are we, learn, are we just approaching it to gain a bunch of knowledge? Are we approaching it? You know, think about the different reasons we read the Bible. And sadly, sometimes we're just reading so that we can be smarter than the next guy. Sometimes we're just reading to figure out how close to the line I can get in my sin and God will still like me. Sometimes we're reading the Bible, I think it's almost like a puzzle. We're trying to solve it, especially as we approach prophecy. We're like, oh, you know, I want to be in the know of what's going to happen. But there's one reason that we should read the Bible. We read the Bible to find Jesus. And the wise men understood that, even pagan though they were, they went to the Old Testament for the right reason. Once they heard the prophecy, they said, thank you for the prophecy, I'm going to find Jesus. And I think that sometimes we miss this. We stop at the Old Testament Scripture or whatever, even sometimes the way we read the New Testament Scripture, we stop at the Scripture instead of seeing the Word for what it is, a map, and we move on to the destination, which is the Lord Jesus. The Word of God is a map, but sometimes these scribes, for example, had mistaken it for the destination. They were like those that the Lord Jesus spoke of in John 5. If you could flip to John 5. They fell into the same trap that the Pharisees and the other religious leaders fell into. They mistook the map for the destination, and so they missed the Lord Jesus. Toward the end of John 5, when the Lord Jesus is in debate and discussion with all of these religious leaders who were seeking to kill him, because he had, in their minds, broken the law, Jesus says something really interesting to them. When it says, we could start in verse 37. I mean, the, whole, the whole section is really interesting. But in verse 37 he says, The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you did not believe. And then this is the key. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. 
and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but you were not willing to come to me that you may have life. Do you see what he's saying there? They were doing it wrong. They were reading the Bible. They loved the Bible. They were doing it wrong. And I know that for us who have come to the Lord, thank God we have, quote, done it right, at least to a certain extent, right? In other words, we allowed the Word of God to lead us to the living Word of God. But I think we're still in danger of slipping back sometimes into letting our pursuit of knowledge in the Bible stop us in our tracks before we get to Him. He has to be the goal. How can we tell if Jesus is the goal of our Bible reading? I mean, I almost want to ask that and just throw it out there. How can we tell? But I'm not going to. I'm going to answer the question. But in your own mind, think of how you would answer that question. How can we tell if Jesus is the destination? Not the Word of God. I think that we can tell because as we read, we become more like Him. In other words, as we read and interpret and digest and meditate on the Word, we become more like Jesus. If that's not happening, then I would suggest we're doing it wrong. If that's not happening, sometimes our Bible reading can make us prideful. Was the Lord Jesus prideful? No. So we must be doing it wrong. Sometimes our Bible reading can cause us to doubt the goodness of God. Right? Or to, uh, for some people we know, it even leads them away from God. Because they're like, oh, if God's like that, then I... If that, did the Lord Jesus, is that how He responded to God the Father? No. So if that's happening to us, I would suggest we're doing it wrong. We're reading the Bible in the wrong way. Sometimes when people read the Bible, it makes them, uh, it fills them with the spirit of animosity toward sinners and towards those who are on the outside. Is that the way the Lord Jesus felt towards those who are on the outside? No. In every way, He poured out His life. He laid down His life for them. So if our Bible reading is shaping us into people who have a negative view of the sinner, the quote sinner, or the world, then I would suggest we're doing it wrong. If you flip over to John chapter 7. It's interesting because we see in John 7, once again, this verse in Micah, people are reading it wrong. It's, it's messing them up. You know, the word of prophecy was supposed to bring you to the truth. But for many in Jesus' day, the word of prophecy was becoming a stumbling block for them. We see as they're listening to Jesus speak, it says in... that We see the debate starting in verse 40. 
Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the, Bible, among the people because of him. It's interesting, right? If our interpretation of the Bible is leading to this kind of division, even internal division in our mind of who Jesus is, then we're doing it wrong. Of course, you would think, well, the problem was they didn't know everything. They thought he was from Nazareth. They didn't know these little details. And that can sometimes happen to us too. We don't know everything we need to know. And so sometimes our Bible reading can trip us up. It can lead to confusion. It can lead to doubts. It can lead to uh, bad attitudes toward other people. Or even lead to pride and self-righteousness in ourselves. But I would say every time that happens, we need to stop ourselves. And we need to remind ourselves of what the Bible was given to us for. It was to lead us to Him. Just like the wise men. These wise men who they just heard a tiny little prophecy about a star, that's all it took to take them hundreds of miles to find Jesus. They heard this Micah prophecy. They didn't worship Micah. They didn't worship the verse or the scripture. They said, thank you for the scripture. I'm going to find Jesus. This has to be our attitude as well. I'm not saying that we should have a lower view of scripture we have to realize that the reason Scripture has a high view, a high place, is because Jesus is higher. And this is leading us up to Him. So as believers, we can look around and say, is my Bible reading making me more like Him? You know, the book of Micah, His name means, who is like Yahweh? Or it's almost saying, who is Yahweh? What is He like? You know, at the end of the book, in Micah 7, it ends this way. We were singing this earlier. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. Let our Bible reading be basically the name of Micah. Who is a God like you? Let it fill our hearts with Jesus Himself. The revelation of God. The full revelation of God. And let's just bracket off those struggles that sometimes either fill us with self-righteousness or anger or hatred or fear of the future or all the different other things that sometimes happen when we come to Scripture. And let us focus on reading the Bible as a map that takes us to Jesus for His glory.